Singed hair, missing fingers, toes. I think we all came through. Okay. Fourth uh, of July is here and gone, but it's still Fourth of July weekend, and that's been barbecues. It's been uh, flag waving and picnics. It's the 232nd anniversary of the birth of our nation, and Fourth of July really is a birthday. We remember the birth, not of an individual, but of a nation collectively, and really no different than we would for any individual among us. And you know, if you talk about your country or your country's birth, patriotism, citizenship, on one hand, it's a really rich subject because there's so much you could talk about. On the other side, it'd be easy to step on toes as well. Uh, I hope to be encouraging this morning and limiting what I'm going to talk about related to citizenship and the place and the time we live by focusing on two sort of broad topics that actually would apply to any one of a number of occasions, but I want to focus in on this morning, related to being citizens in the United States, thinking about 4th of July, our country's founding, its development, the state of things today. Two things, be thankful and be a blessing. Be thankful and be a blessing. Starting with the first, you know, if you read the scriptures uh, cover to cover, Thankfulness is a theme that runs throughout. Being thankful as an attitude of heart or giving thanks verbally, giving thanks to God primarily in the scriptures. So you've got verses like Psalm 18, verse 49. Therefore, by the way, a psalm of deliverance, thinking of the birth of our country and deliverance. Therefore, I will give thanks to you among the nations, O Lord, and I will sing praises to your name. I'll give thanks and I'll sing praises. Or Psalm 97, 12, be glad in the Lord, you righteous ones, and give thanks to his holy name. You'll see this throughout the Old Testament, but you'll see the same theme in the New Testament. So verses like Colossians 3, 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful, be thankful. And last, not least, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, in everything give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And and hear that again. In everything, give thanks. This is God's will for you. Giving thanks, which means both having an attitude of thanksgiving, the way we think, the way we choose to think, and then giving thanks verbally with our voice, with the words of our mouth. This is a command from God. Give thanks in everything. This theme of giving thanks, being thankful to God, it applies to all areas and times of life. This morning we want to narrow it down specifically related to our citizenship, Christians as citizens in the United States. And being thankful as a way of life for Christians, all times, all places. But thinking of this in the context of citizenship and the 4th of July, the state of our nation today, may be particularly appropriate. If you think of the news, when we go out today, if you turn on your TV later, C-SPAN, if you read your newspapers, you'll see all kinds of negative news. And and in saying this, I don't say uh, that any of it's not true, but an economy that's hitting the tanks, we're half a point away from an official, not uh, depression, but recession. Uh, Unemployment uh, up, war in Iraq and Afghanistan, political races, charges, countercharges, etc. In other words, it's an easy time to be discouraged or to feel less than thankful or to express less than thankful sentiments based on the state of affairs as they are today. 
So this has to be a conscious decision. Uh, I worked years ago, uh, for 16 years, I was a firefighter here in the city. And I loved my job, and I loved the people I worked with, and uh, I'd still be there today if it wasn't for this church. I left the department so that I could serve this church. Loved what I did. Uh, once in a while, you'd get someone who was new to the department, and they hadn't been there very long, and they would, they'd start complaining or whining about things in their job. So they'd complain about uh, what was going on at the station or what wasn't going on. It's too busy or it's too slow. I've got to travel to another station today. I don't get to travel to another station today. I wanted to take off. I didn't want to take off. You get the, the picture. Anything and everything. And my favorite response to this was one of the older guys would say something, a phrase just like this, go get a real job. Go get a re-. That roughly translated, that means you've got it made. You just don't know it. Or wake up and smell the coffee. One guy said when I was hired and in training, don't pass this along, said, you'll never be paid more for doing less than in this job. And in the context of current newspaper articles, or that's maybe not a good thing to say, but it was a great job. But you could come on and you could easily develop a thought or a mindset of complaining. When the older guys knew, guys, you know, go work a construction job, go work at Goodyear, go work at the railroad, whatever, and then come back and tell me, your complaints. You've got it made. You know, you need to wake up and smell the coffee. It's easy to cultivate or to fall into habits of negative thinking. It actually requires a conscious effort, especially if you find yourself with people who tend to speak or think negatively. It's work to focus on what you can be thankful for. It does require a decision of the mind. So let me say with the older firefighters, the older, wiser firefighters, wake up and smell the coffee. We live in a time and a place in which we are abundantly blessed by God. We have tons and tons of things to be thankful for as Americans or as those who live in the United States today. It's almost, it should be hard to be, think negatively based on all the ways we're blessed and the abundance of God's blessing we've got today. Um, we do live in a sin-cursed world, by the way, and sometimes when we look around, it could be our family, home, country, we have expectations that just aren't part of reality. Things in this world are never going to be perfect. Things in this nation will never be perfect because we live in a sin-cursed world. So on one level, I think our expectations about what we, we can expect, they're just too high. They're not based in reality. We've still got it good. The worst day in the United States, in my view, is still a good day on the earth. There is so much on a bad day in the United States. There's still so much of the goodness of God being poured out on this country that we wrong God and we harm ourselves when we're less than thankful. I've got a short list. You'd have your own. I mean, this would just scratch the surface of things, but just to start the wheels turning, things to be thankful. First, we live in a country with a constitution and a bill of rights that's predicated on the foundation that all of us have some rights, inalienable rights, because we were created. That is, this country was based on the understanding that God was and that all of us were his creation and that because of us, individual lives had rights that shouldn't be alienated, that all of us deserved 
respect because we were from God. In other words, the state didn't give rights, it recognized rights because God gave the rights because he created us. That's the foundation, if you will, of this country, a foundation that understood God created and therefore we have rights because they're from God. We have liberty and we pursue liberty for ourselves and for others because we recognize that all of us came from God. We have a political and a religious heritage that informed the country's foundation and its development right up to this day. We still are blessed because of the foundational understanding of those who founded this country still today. Or think of this. We live in a nation of relative peace. And relative's a, a, an important word here. You know, there's no peace in this earth. Without the Prince of Peace, there's no peace ultimately in this earth. But we live in a time and a place of relative peace. That is, there's no foreign armies invading our soil. Our cities aren't being bombed. Now, I understand we're in a war against terrorism. It's, it's a different kind of battle. I understand that we have armies and soldiers deployed around the world. I don't mean to minimize that at all. But for you and I today, we live in a nation that's relatively peaceful. We have armies that see to that all over the world. We have police forces in this country that help make sure you and I can get up in the morning and go about our affairs. We're blessed with the relative peace we have in a world that cannot have ultimate peace because we're at odds with each other, because we're at odds with God. But we live in a time and a place of relative peace. On a very mundane level, total contrast, we have microwaves and barbecues. We have uh, stereos and iPods. We have good food and we have fast food. We have air conditioning and heat. We've got doctors and medicine. We've got homes and vacations. You, you get the picture. Just on the material level of things, we've got more stuff than any other generation in the history of the world. We've got stuff that ancient rulers, no matter how vast their wealth, could never have purchased or enjoyed. You and I take for granted today. We are blessed materially. We have a say politically in who rules and governs us. You know, that's not true all over the world, and it certainly is the exception in history that you and I can vote and help decide who rules this nation. That's not the norm through history, and in many places of the world today, you cannot do that. Vote. Seems like a small thing. We take it for granted. That's a very big thing to be thankful for. The economy has certainly been better at other times in the past, but again, you know, we still live in a nation and a country where you can apply yourself as diligently as you care to. You can pretty much determine, some things uh, aside, we can pretty much determine how hard we want to work, how much we want to work. We can start businesses, enterprises, etc. We live in a place where we can pretty much decide what kind of venue we're going to work, what kind of lifestyle we're, we're going to work to. Again, that can't be said in many times in history or around the world today. You can still get a great education in this country. You know, uh, students from other parts of the world still come to universities in the United States because they're academic centers for the world still today. There's academic excellence certainly in universities today. Or as we're doing here this morning, we have the freedom to meet on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights or whatever, or in homes or in schools or church buildings without fear that someone's going to break the doors down and haul us off to jail. And again, this cannot be said for many places around the world today. 
Our worst day in the United States today is a pretty good day by any comparison, geographically, other parts of the world, or historically. On the 4th of July weekend, thinking of citizens living in this time and this place, decide, make up your mind to be thankful. Thank God for the spiritual heritage we have, past tense, that still informs our lives and our times today. Be thankful for the material prosperity we have today. Be thankful that we can communicate the gospel to others freely, here and abroad. There's no one keeping the lid on the gospel for us today. And last, don't be an ugly American. Be a thankful American. Don't be an ugly American. Be a thankful American. The second of these two themes on the 4th of July weekend is to be a blessing. Be thankful. An attitude towards God, a disposition to thank God for all the ways he's blessed us. Be thankful. But also, choose to be a blessing. Let me read to you from 1 Peter 3, verse 9. Peter wrote there, don't return evil for evil or insult for insult, but give a blessing instead. You were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Peter says it's something like this. And by the way, First Peter is an epistle that's written to Christians who are suffering. So when he says don't return insult for insult, Christians were being insulted and they were being persecuted and they were being imprisoned and their lands and their wealth was being confiscated and taken. So when Peter writes these things, he's not writing out of a material prosperity. He's writing at a time of suffering. But he still says this, as a Christian, you inherit now and you have a future inheritance in heaven. You inherit a blessing in Christ. We experience some of that now, but we'll experience more of it in heaven, face to face with Christ. We're called to inherit a blessing. And Peter says, as those who inherit a blessing, we should turn around and give a blessing to those around us. That we have been blessed so that we can be a blessing to others. So as Christians, as those who know Jesus Christ, blessed now with eternal life, the forgiveness of our sins, the fellowship of each other, the Holy Spirit's presence, and then the future promise of all that in spades in Christ's presence, Peter says we can afford to be a blessing. We who are blessed in Christ are called to be a blessing to others. We have been blessed to bless. And this takes place in a context of those who are heaven's representatives to the earth. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20, Paul says we are ambassadors for Christ. We're ambassadors for Christ. No matter how patriotic you do or do not feel towards the United States or any other country you're born in today, if you're a Christian on the earth, your primary citizenship actually isn't as an American citizen, or a Colombian, or a Chinese, or Israeli, or British, or anything else. Your primary citizenship is heaven. Just as the United States had a birth, and we celebrate that this weekend, every person who's trusted Christ has a spiritual birth. And from that spiritual birth, they derive a new heritage, and a new, new home, and a new citizenship. So that our primary citizenship is not as Americans in the United States. And I've said this before, God is not an American. God is not a United States citizen. 
He's bigger than that. He owns everything and every place and everyone. The United States is too small for his kingdom. Far too small. All of us, whatever nation we live in, we are actually citizens of heaven, commissioned as ambassadors for Christ, for heaven, to the place and the time God sends us, the place we live. So you and I are actually on tourist visas, if you will, to the United States of America today. This is not our primary citizenship. No matter how patriotic you do or do not feel, you're a citizen of heaven, commissioned as heaven's representative to the nation and the time and the people you live. In Philippians 3.20, to some Christians who were, who were tending to make too much of their earthly citizenship, Paul said, our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Sorry, guys. Uh, and just a reminder on that. Remember, Paul was a Roman citizen. You know, if you're an American citizen today in the world, it's kind of an enviable citizenship to have. But Roman citizenship was far more elevated than American citizenship. Privileges and, and the potential for wealth and freedom far greater than American citizenship today. But when Paul talks about citizenship as a Roman citizen, he says our citizenship is in heaven. And not just that, but as citizens of heaven living on earth, he says we're actually not here just enjoying our time, but we're actually waiting for a savior from heaven. That is, our disposition is we're not just sitting here enjoying life on the Riviera, but we're actively waiting, we're anticipating heaven's return to the earth in the person of heaven's king, the Lord Jesus. Paul's thought here in Philippians was Jesus thought in Matthew 6.10 when he taught his disciples to pray, what's called the Lord's Prayer, and said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Literally, that's a prayer for the return of Christ to set up his kingdom, heaven's kingdom, on earth. And that's Paul's view there in Philippians or 2 Corinthians. So we are actually heavenly citizens with ambassador credentials, if you will, sent to the earth to live in this time, in this place, as heaven's ambassadors. We represent Christ on the earth today. And just as God the Father sent Jesus to the earth to be his representative and to atone for our sins, Jesus turned around and sent us as his ambassadors to the earth. And when Jesus prays in John 17, 18, he said, as you, Father, sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. So as those living in the United States today, we need to understand that our true citizenship, our primary citizenship is from heaven. And we live here as representatives of heaven on earth, just as Christ did. So you are Christ. You're his representative to your neighbors and to your city and to your state and to your nation. You are Christ to the world you and I live in today. Citizens of heaven called to be a blessing to those on the earth we live with. Now, there are many ways we can be a blessing, and we'll articulate just a few, but there's kind of a minimum level of blessing in any country we live in, and the minimum level of blessing we should be 
to the place, the country, the people we live in would be this, to obey the law, laws, to pay taxes, and to honor leaders. How many of you feel a groan as soon as you hear those words? I know you do. Uh, because we tend to see the negative. The minimum blessing we should be living in this country at this time is to obey the laws, pay our taxes, and honor our leaders. It's the, it's the most minimum. Let me read briefly from Romans 13. Paul said there, every person, speaking to Christians, is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. They who have opposed will receive con- condemnation upon themselves. Rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you'll have praise from the same. It is a minister of God to you for good. Carrying on at verse 6. Because of this you also pay taxes. Rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Therefore, render to all what is due them, tax to whom tax, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. Same theme in 1 Peter 2, 13 and 14. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. The very minimum blessing Christians should be to the country they live in is to obey the laws, pay the taxes, and honor those in leadership. Now, I know that some of you, when I read this, your first, it's ugh, that's our first response. And and the thought is often something like this, respect him or respect her. Or I would respect them if they were worthy of respect. Or I would obey that law if I thought that law made sense. But then we're setting ourselves over the government and over the laws which God says are his representatives. In other words, Paul says and Peter says, when you obey the government, you obey God. When you resist the government, you resist God. Caveat, we all know that if the government tells us to disobey God, we obey God. And Peter, who wrote this in 1 Pete, is one in Acts who says, we must obey God rather than men. We're not talking about that. That's the rare exception of the rule. That's not the norm. Not the norm. We are called to obey and to respect. Now think of this, again, context. Uh, Peter and Paul, as far as we know, were both executed by the Roman government. So when Peter and Paul write this, they're writing this about Roman Caesars, dictators, despots, and about ungodly Jewish religious leaders. We can't look back and say they don't know how bad our president is or our governor is or our city officials are, whatever. They were talking about Roman government and ungodly Jewish leaders. These governments put these two guys who wrote this to death. So you can't look back and say they don't know what it's like for us. They do know what it's like. They did know what it was like. We don't have it worse than them. We have it far, far better, far easier than they did. 
The trouble with our objections, with not, not obeying the laws, not paying taxes, not showing honor to those in leadership, is that when we refuse to, we're actually disobeying God. Romans 13, 1, there's no authority except by God. Verses 4 and 6, governments and leaders are God's servants. This goes back, by the way, if you look in the book of Daniel in chapter 4, two different verses, Daniel says the same thing. The Most High God is ruler over the realm of mankind. He bestows it on whom He wishes and sets over it the lowliest of men. If you look at a leader and you say, man, they're a low life, that's okay. Because God said through Daniel, God appoints low lives as leaders sometimes. And sometimes He does that to discipline the people that get that leadership. Sometimes we get the leaders we deserve. He says again in verse 25 that Nebuchadnezzar was going to be humbled until he recognized that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. You can't look at poor leadership and say they're not from God because God says sometimes I'm I'm the one who appoints even the lowliest of men as leaders. Or think of this preeminently. When the creator of the earth becomes incarnate, comes to the world. He stands before the throne of judgment in Jerusalem to a Roman governor and submits to the authority. And when Pilate says, don't you recognize I have authority to set you free or to kill you, Jesus says, the only reason you have this authority is because it's been given to you from above. Jesus, as a man on the earth, submitted to the government. He couldn't have been crucified, by the way, without that government's complicity. He submitted to the government that crucified him. So again, we can't look at our rulers or our governments or our situation and say they don't know how bad we had it. Jesus even submitted to the governments because the governments were instituted by God. When you and I obey the government, we are obeying God. When we show honor to those in leadership, we are honoring God. This is kind of like children showing honor and respect and obedience to parents who are less than perfect. Because when they do it, they're showing honor and respect and obedience to God. It's the same thought here. Now, that's the minimum. And I know uh, some of us are already thinking like, I have trouble with the minimum, with the taxes that I'm required to pay, or with the laws that I don't like, etc. But that's the minimum. That would just be a given for us. There's lots of other ways. You could think of a ton. I've got my short list. You could think of others. But how about this just for a few? To be a blessing as heaven's ambassadors on earth. Voting. There's primaries coming up. There's general election in November. One of the ways we can be a blessing in this earth, in this country, in this time is to vote. It's to vote for people that as far as we understand represents heaven's views as closely as as are available in any given election. We can vote. That should be a blessing to us and to those around us by doing what we can to see that those who represent God's views are those in leadership and whether they are or not, understanding that God's in the details. God's still behind that, whoever gets elected. We can be a voice and we can be hands that serve life and right. That is, we can do things like feeding widows and orphans. Sometimes we as a church do that by sending funds. To Haiti, for instance, we can do similar things here. We can speak up for the unborn here in our own midst. We can help those who have children 
and face troubles raising them in our own midst. We can be a blessing to those around us in that sense. We can be a good neighbor, literally, in our neighborhoods. Do your neighbors like you? Are your neighbors glad you're there? Are you a good neighbor to the people you rub shoulders with? You should be. You should be a blessing to your neighbors. Another one, we can be an example of forgiveness. I don't know what this might look like you specifically, for you specifically, but think of this. Our heavenly citizenship is predicated on the foundation of our forgiveness. That is the only reason we're saved, is because God, at the cost of his son, forgave us our sins. So as those who inherit a blessing and are citizens of heaven, that's all gravy to us because God forgave us. And he calls us to forgive others. And as you know, this is a world in which we want our rights, we know our rights, we sue others if we don't get our way, we hold grudges, we tell people how it is. God calls us to forgive as we have been forgiven. And this should be demonstrated certainly in the church between us and each other, fellow Christians, but this should be exemplified by us to the larger world around us as well. We should be known as those who don't hold grudges, who forgive debts, who forgive our neighbors and those who have not done right by us. We should bless others by demonstrating forgiveness. We should be sharing the gospel with those around us. You know, there's no greater blessing for anybody than to move from death to life, from the kingdom of darkness, this world, to the kingdom of light. The greatest blessing you and I can be to anyone is to share with them the hope of the gospel, that their sins can be forgiven. They can be born again, a new birthday, a new citizenship, a new life, a new hope, a new future. That's the greatest blessing we can give to anyone. Do you know Christ? Do you know where you're going when you die? Do you know Jesus died for your sins? Guys, and I understand this, in our culture, everything's skewered that's meaningful. You know, we're sarcastic, we're, we're cynics, etc. Sharing the gospel is still the way God saves people by talking to others about who Jesus is and what, he's did, what he did. That's still how God saves people today. And the last, though certainly not the least, is pray for those in leadership. Pray for those in leadership. 1 Timothy 2, I find this interesting. Uh, 1 Timothy is a letter from an apostle to Timothy to tell him what the church was supposed to look like, how the church was to be run. When he starts giving directions, he doesn't talk about worship and evangelism. He doesn't talk about church leadership and elders. He says, first of all, I urge that entreaties, prayers, petitions, thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. When he starts talking to the church about what the church should do, he says, pray for those in leadership. And Paul understood there was a benefit that part of the fruit of prayer for leaders was uh, godliness and dignity in a quiet life. I take it he understood that this tended towards a lifestyle that allowed the gospel to be freely proclaimed and Christians to go about the affairs of life. He doesn't start with something high and noble and heavenly, so to speak. He starts by saying, pray for your leaders. Pray for those in authority. When was the last time you, when was the last time we prayed for the mayor of our city or our city council? 
especially, perhaps. When was the last time we prayed for our governor or our president or our elected officials? We're called to pray for those in leadership. That's one of the ways we're called to be a blessing. Pray for leaders and be a blessing. John F. Kennedy, president, said a few decades ago, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. And I would say, take that thought today, 4th of July weekend, ask God how he wants you to serve heaven's cause by being a blessing in this country at this time. How does God want you and I to serve this country? the land, the time, and the place he's chosen us to live. We are Christ. We are his ambassadors to this world we live in. God, which is great, this is all inspiring The Lord of heaven and earth has commissioned you. If you've trusted Christ, you travel under commission to be Christ's representative of this world. We've got a, a commission to fulfill. We're supposed to bring a little bit of heaven to earth with us. And hopefully because of our presence as the citizens of heaven on earth, the earth we live in, the country we live in today is a little bit more like the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Lord, it is awe-inspiring that the, he- the God of heaven and earth commissions uh, people like us occupy perhaps small corners of the world And yet we really do travel under the aegis of the Lord of all life. Lord, we are no less than your ambassadors. We are no less than citizens of heaven, living for a time on earth to accomplish your goodwill. Father, I pray that all of us would be exemplary citizens here in the United States. I pray that those minimums would be the least things, that they'd be givens for us, but that you would help us be creative in the ways we can be a blessing to those we live with. Lord, there are no times that are out of your control, and you have placed each of us in this place at this time for your good pleasure and your good will. Lord, help us to reflect to you thankfulness for all the glorious ways you've blessed us, all that's to come. And Lord, determined to be a blessing in all the ways you give us to be here and now. In Jesus' name, amen.